Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 354th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your tried and true co-host, your host Mason, joined by special co-host Abe Stein, filling in for Allie while Allie's off doing taxes and family stuff. Abe, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mason. How are, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, I just got home from work. I'm uh, excited to record this podcast. Today's topic of the act of improving at magic is one that I'm really excited about. I know that's something that you and I have recently had some talks one-on-one on uh, in, in groups as well. So it's been really cool to have you on and get this. And I want to thank you uh, once again for coming on and taking over the slot for Allie when she had the busy stuff come up. And Abe, can I, can I regale the people with your accolades? Your I would love <laughs> nothing more. I love hearing about myself. Well, It's been like... It's been like a dream of mine to be on a magic podcast mm-hmm. for a long time. So, well, you know, this is just it. 354 of Constructor Criticism was the episode for you, my friend. So as you might have heard throughout the podcast's history, Abe uh, is a SCG grinder. Uh, it's a friend of Allie and ours. Uh, actually placed one place higher than Allie last year on the SCG leaderboard, bumping Allie out of buys, which he brings up a couple times. So daggers all around there. Uh, Abe has been playing Magic for a long time, just graduated, was just about to graduate college, I guess, even though you're kind of in the last bit of the semester, doesn't really matter. You played on two pro tours, and I was told threw away one of the best decks going into it because, quote, we thought the mana was bad. So Abe, we're happy to have you on. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. So, Abe, we're going to go into the always improving segment of the show. And the point of the show is you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And we try to always work on something in our lives. And, you know, that can be in and outside of magic. And so I'll start things off since, you know, I'm the funniest one here and the host. And uh, my always improving moment this week uh, really comes down to actually stepping away from magic a little bit and uh, realizing that I was kind of getting burnt out and felt in a rut about everything. And I made sure to spend time doing things that uh, I really wanted to do. And when I was playing Magic, to have fun playing Magic and to play decks I wanted to play. And not just the thing that I thought was the highest percentage chance to win. Because I could feel myself getting like this kind of rut and this kind of like, I don't want to say foul mood with Magic. But more so like, oh, this is like really tiresome. This isn't fun. I'm just like not enjoying what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm like, the results aren't showing as well, you know, I, I'm clearly in, like, a bad spot, so I need to take some time, enjoy myself when I'm playing it, you know, so I streamed a lot of fun decks and historic, I streamed a lot, I played a lot of Modern Prowess, uh, which I love playing Red Prowess, it's a weird thing that happened pre-quarantine, Abe, I would never touch a Prowess deck, post-quarantine, I'm all about Prowess, you can't get me stopped, but I've played, like, eight I leagues love it's It's a bizarre thing, I just randomly decided, like, I should try this deck, it always does so well, and then I was like, dang, this is a blast, I love doing this. So did a bunch of that and played a bunch of Valorant and just kind of chilled. And I'm excited to hop back in things. Uh, I was looking up the SCG for this weekend to see what the format is. I'm excited to go. So that was my always improving moment. Um, uh, so my always improving moment. Uh, I really like this segment. I really do. Um, I spent a lot of last week kind of also very disengaged with Magic for different reasons. I was kind of sad about it. I've been really into this limited format. Wanted to play like the Arena Open wanted to play the ptqs but just stuff came up and i couldn't but what i did have time for was to play a bunch of mario kart and like on like a fresh file i don't know if you know anything about mario kart but when you like to, to unlock things usually you have to like play these grand prix which are like four tracks or whatever and like i was just i'm really good at the game and it's a fresh file so i was like i'm gonna get three stars on every one so i'm gonna like win every race and just like the act of like putting my nose to the grindstone and like really just not accepting anything short of perfection like going through like nope i got second in this race on like the hard difficulties i'm like back to the start even though it's the fourth one and i could just be done like i think that's just like 
that's a really awesome like like thing to make sure you keep doing because it's really to get lazy and be like oh you know it's good enough but to really like grind out and like get the hundred percent i don't know there's something about it that's great yeah i i I definitely know that feeling of like wanting to complete a max out and also give it your all you know it's like well it's like 90 percent isn't 100 like i i can do the hundred you know it's not out of my reach I, i need to go back in there yeah, and then uh, actually, since like today, because I had a I had a long conversation with um my good friend Jonathan Sukenik, uh can't beat him. He's like kind of he's kind of like my magic mentor, honestly. Like, as a, I've had a couple through the years, you know, it's just kind of how it is. You like find a group and you like click with them. But he was talking about how he was finally coming back to modern with the uh, with the bands, and he was like playing a little bit and he had like some ideas, and I was just I just realized that like. He's one of the better deck builders, I think. Like, especially more creative deck builders ever that I've met. Mm-hmm. He, like, kind of, like, definitely marches the beat of his own drum historically. Like, he started winning more when he started playing, like, more stock decks. But he, you know, he's known for, like, playing Jeskai in Modern, despite it being, like, bad. And, like, it, it, it drives me up the wall. I, I, I gotta say this. I gotta say this. I've played Sukinik a fair amount of times now. I've never beat Sukinik Ever. He always plays the Jeskai deck. It's always like a pretty even matchup. If not favored me, I just get trounced every time. I just cannot beat Sukinek in anything. He's like my kryptonite. Keep going, but this this guy really knows. Yeah, like, like he's, he's so good at those decks. It's insane. He's he's just an absolutely fantastic magic player. One of the smartest people I know. And uh, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm like trying these things. Like I think I disagree with people on like how they're evaluating certain cards and like the format and like the way that people should be building things. I was like, wow, like. I don't have that skill set at all. Like, I kind of am just, like, still making sure I get down, like, my technical play all the time. And, like, I know where I want to be in the format and what's going on. And, like, so I took some time and I just started brewing. Like, he, he said, like, something about, like, oh, you know, maybe, like, a Zombies deck. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of tools there that are not explored. So, like, maybe I'll do that. Um, and I was like, I'm going to do that. So then today I've just been, like, going through the deck building process, like, starting from an idea of like okay like grave crawler carrion feeder like you know mm-hmm. uh like undead auger this kind of like package of like sack outlets and recursive creatures and like what can you do with that that's not being done in modern that like could be different you know you never know crypt breaker was a an entire option for a uh for hogak sideboard plan against leyline you know like yeah and it was good y- you never know what comes up and I, I just think there's a lot to learn especially when there's a format that's so big like modern i definitely feel like i've learned a lot just today and like okay like so do i start big by pulling every option and all the colors and like thinking about what it is that i want to do like do i want to have red for like some croxes or like you know blood moon or something in the sideboard or do i want to have white so i can have like tide hallow sculler and luris if like i want to if i even want to have luris if i want to have like a yogmoth combo thing going on do i want to have like uh what's that card fiend artisan like do i want to be just straight mono black how many lands do i want to play what like do i want mutable it's like all of these things are just things you have to think about and i've never really taken the time to think about from an entirely new idea and it's been i feel like my brain has grown three sizes <laughs> i love it. that's sick yeah th- those sort of things are really uh exciting too right when you have those moments and, and it's uh, also a skill that's hard to exercise right because it's one of those things that you know most likely going to this. You know, Abe's not thinking, like, I'm going to actually break it with zombies. Like, you know, like, the odds of it happening are pretty low. But the act of doing that, and the potential is there, right? Like, 
when you're saying that, I thought, like, there have been a lot of zombie cards that have been printed during the same time as, like, Modern Horizons, uh, Oko, and Uro, and that sort of stuff's pushed everything out, and we're kind of like, hey, those eight, nine months never happened now, let's explore Modern again with all these new cards. There's a lot of things that could be there, so there could definitely be something. And the act of doing that, I think, is super good and rewarding, even though it's hard, right? Because it's so many times you feel like, oh, I'm maybe this isn't worth exploring to its fullest, you know? Like humans. Like people talked that there was a humans deck for a while, and then it right. took, you know, uh, I can't remember the Moto Grinder, but there's a Moto Grinder, and then Collins Mullins, you know, changed the list a little bit and took it to an open, and now humans has been a mainstay of the format for three, almost four years now. It's hard to believe. Yeah, exactly. It was like it was a deck. People were like, "Do we need to ban something?" Like, yeah. <laughs> and you never, you never get there if no one ever puts in that time, and not everyone's good at it. You know, like that's why like the Sam Blacks of Magic. There was that thread a couple of days ago. Where it was like, you know, tag like best players who aren't like in the Hall of Fame. And obviously I tagged myself. Uh, not true. I didn't. But um, you tagged me. I mean, you know, and, and like Sam Sam said that, yeah, uh, it says in the script that I was, I tagged you. God, I love the script. Like Sam responded and he was like, yeah, like I see my name come up a lot here, but I think that's just like not true. I don't think I'm like, I don't think I have the processing power and like the ability to hold all these pieces of info in my head and like, you know, like to do all these things that make you a really like hall of fame tier magic player. But what I do that's different is that I like really just explore everything that I can. And I like go through this creative process. Yeah. And like, that is something that is a part of the game. Like as much as you can have success and I, a lot of people do without ever building an original deck or whatever, something that I learned at my first PT was like, you know, you come in the wild West, you've got to come with something good. Like you, you can't, and and there's nothing to tell you, right? There, there's only two events or something. You know, it's early in a format. You have two events of information. You know everyone else is trying to break it. like, And you know they're hiding their information too, right? Like, yeah, exactly. If, if they're like, there, they're almost assuredly, like, the really if there is something really good, it's almost assuredly not public. Yeah, it's so easy to get lost in those moments and be like, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do and kind of end up making a decision that isn't, as well thought out or something you didn't really put process into because you didn't have the tools to. I know I didn't at my first PT and like it was such an open format. And I like think I was like heading in the right direction, but I had, you know, four days or whatever from the invitational to the, uh, to the PT. So it was like, what, what am I supposed to? I just kind of registered something that like looked fine with numbers I liked and I played an entirely mediocre deck. And if you want to not play a mediocre deck or even, you know, build not mediocre decks, do things that are really exciting or just creative in magic. I think that's a skill you really have to work on. That's like a, it's a process you have to build. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think that's super true. That's super important. Even with PTs being a couple weeks out now, I think that still comes up to an extent even with all the information we have. And I think one thing that I, I was thinking about when you were talking about all this, that's really important is sometimes what happens is, is you find out there aren't the pieces there, right? So it, it might finish with the zombie that can be like, dang, if I just had like, my Thalia's Lieutenant type card, thing that I could play and ump the team and push. If I just had that, then maybe my deck would be great. And then, you know, nine months from now, the new Innistrad set drops and there's the zombie Thalia Lieutenant that's brought back from the dead, you know? And he does the exact same thing for zombies and Abe's like, oh my gosh, that's it. And that might be the thing and he's already done the work for that. And you also get new context for the format too, right? Like when you are playing these things that are a little weirder, it helps recontextualize things, not so much like, oh, what do I need to be sideboarding? Which sometimes is what comes down to a lot of modern. You know, you're like, you have your deck that you play. It's totally fine to serviceable. 
what do I sideboard for what else is going on? This gives you a whole new light for everything too. So yeah, I'll say that nothing really teaches you about how, like what the weaknesses or strengths of like what any deck is other than like beating it in ways you didn't think were possible. Like when you like really beat, like I just beat, I played some two mans before, before we recorded, I was playing some two mans with my zombie brew and uh, I played against Bant like control, like Bant Stoneblade. And game one, they just natty like dork sort of feast and famine and I die. And then games two and three, I just ground them out. I was like, no, I'm going to Liliana of the Veiled Edict, your only creature. I'm going to set up the board so that happens. You know, use my Yawgmoth to pick things off. I'm going to manufacture a game. It's like their deck had no pressure. It just had no way to like really... We get in these spots where it's like, okay, I'm top decking with like a Gravecrawler or two around and they just couldn't beat it. Yeah, you know, and, and that's that's telling when things like that happen. It's telling of like, you know, okay, maybe like if you just like maybe if you could find a way to make Hollow One work again, that deck would be good if the control decks are good because like they can't deal with the recursive threats, things like that. Yeah, for you sure. just really learn a lot from just playing the games, even weird ones. I think the weird games probably teach you the most, actually. Yeah, especially if you're looking for it, you know, just like wow, my cards suck. You know. <laughs> yeah, you really reflect on a match with your like weird. You're like wow, like why was that game close? Like, my deck sucks. And you're like, wait, like, why was it close, you know? Mm-hmm. Think about that, and I, I think, I don't know, just think about what you do, and I think you get, you get a lot of places. Big agree, big agree. Well, we're going to move on to the Patreon question of the week. This is all about the bans. We unfortunately didn't get to do our big ban and restricted announcement episode everything going on in life right now. Uh, but Abe, I don't know if you heard while you were out and about doing your stuff, um, and unable to play magic, but they banned like 15 cards. And I did hear that. Yeah, so let's just kind of quickly go through the formats and give our thoughts and maybe what if you have any ideas about what could be going on there. Uh, let's start with Historic, uh, just or left. Uh, they officially banned Omnath, since apparently Omnath was on the suspended list, so Omnath could have potentially come back, but Omnath's gone and Uro's gone. Uh, and I got to say, the Historic format's crazy since then everyone's playing there's like vampire decks doing great we've seen Ashley's little crush with uh we've seen sacrifice decks rise up we've seen control decks rise up do, do you play much historic game and do you have any real thoughts on it i know that's a format that ali really likes yeah so i i only really play historic when it's the qualifying season mm-hmm. for like the like i played soul tie in the last arena qualifier but i i watch i do watch ali stream occasionally and i i like keep tabs on what's going on and it does seem kind of like a cool wild west format where a lot of things are happening there's like you know goblins is like this boogeyman deck and like sacks really good. Uh, but Uro was just like such a problem. I don't even know if it was necessarily a huge problem for historic in the way that like was bigger than other formats where Uro is a problem, but it just, the Uro problem is so real. And I, I, I like that we're seeing historic in a place where we can see, okay, is Rakdos sacrifice dominant? Like, was it just the Uro deck, the Sultai deck keeping it down? Is there another deck that can play the answers that can like, bring the format to balance or are we going to have to see some like some change to that in like a couple months I, I think that my biggest thing as someone who doesn't play historic is i like the approach they're taking to historic a small format with a couple of problematic cards and like plenty of power to keep everything in check you know like uro's gone a lot of people were saying sacrifice is going to be too good a lot of people saying like oh well, goblins is going to be too good or whatever but now that you kind of know that those are the things and Sultai isn't the only thing to be doing, these Urodex aren't the only thing to be doing that aren't that. I don't know, I think it uh I think it's better. Do you have you have much expert historic opinion to tell me I'm wrong? 
All right. Uh, my my thing is right now I have seen, even though I haven't played as much of it, I, I picked up Sacrifice a little bit and just could not lose. It was like, it was funny too because I realized I didn't update my sideboard so I had a bunch of cards for Uro and I just kept forgetting to update because I would like play a game and log off. And I had like no pathways on my deck so my mana was bad. <laughs> and then I like updated my deck and just like clean sweep five matches in a row. Just like no problems. All my opponent had hate. Various different forms of hate that I had to have answers for. Just had a sideboard built to beat hate basically only. Uh, with like a few other small changes for like mirror stuff. And it was like, dang, this deck is strong. Is it beatable? Probably. But that deck is a real contender. And I, and I think if you're looking to play historic and you're looking to do that, that's sort of the, the format. That's the deck you have to start with. Like, can your deck beat Sacrifice? Am I doing a worse thing that Sacrifice is trying to do? And if I'm beating Sacrifice, how do I beat how they're going to try and beat me? Because... They actually have a fair amount of tools for the answers out there. The I think it's Feed the Swarm is the two mana answer enchantment or creature. Yeah, that's really that that, that card was not super great against like the Sultai stuff, but has turned into like a real answer for a lot of problematic stuff. So yeah, it's like the other braid, right? Like you you yeah. get a braid to be like, oh, I can like kill this creature if I need to, or if you have Cage, I can kill it. And then this is just like, well, if you have Leyline, I can kill it, and if you have creatures, I can kill them, <laughs> which is yeah. like. <laughs> just the splash in the other direction from the black card sounds great yeah i've definitely had moments where i was like my opponent can either have leyline or cage and i was like but they all have creatures so i'll bring both <laughs> in and you know i'll just hope i draw the right one when you draw the right one <laughs> so yeah yeah that sounds really messed up <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> i should probably start playing that deck if i have to play historic anytime soon yeah it, it's quite strong uh and it's cool to see stuff like blue white we, we've seen some stuff like there we've seen vampires and my, my big thought on it and we'll kind of move on from here is i'm curious when there's pressure on the format what happens because there's no pressure we see this happen a lot after bands normally after a band announcement there's nothing that really happens for a couple weeks because normally it's at the beginning of a format so formats look really cool and then there becomes reasons to play them and be the most efficient deck possible and it's like oh this this format isn't as cool as we thought it was once we like actually try to put pressure on it so i'm curious to see what happens with the historic with a lot of pressure because I could see it being, like, the Gruul, Blue-White, Rakdos format with Goblins. Like, I could see that being the timeline we live in. <laughs> um, yeah. But only time will tell on that. And we have a couple, I think we have, like, a month before there's even anything big for Historic. So. Um, yeah. It kind of feels, I remember the Lotus Box Invitational, mm-hmm. like, at the uh, in the early days of, of the quarantine. Uh, when I qualified for that, that was the first time I ever touched Historic. And it was, there was, like, one tournament by the Mythic Society and, like, Gruul did really well and was, like, considered the best deck. And then these, like, Nexus decks just kind of, like, won anyway. Yeah. And then, and then like, we had the Lotus Box Invitational and it was just, like, more than half the field Nexus, I think, of, like, the 12 people. I think it was, like, almost all Nexus and then, like, a couple Gruul. Yeah, there were only two decks across, like, 12 people. You yeah. Had Gruul and Nexus and that was it. But so. I, had, I played a bunch of Gruul to just be like, okay, like, what am I going to... Like, while I was trying to figure it out, see what people are playing on the ladder in historic and that's that was the first time i hit mythic actually i just like did it in one day it was accidentally the first person there i remember fire shoes like dunked on someone who was like ah, i beat so-and-so there or like so-and-so beat me there and he's like well actually both of you were like three or four hours later than abe who like finished like a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, funny but yeah but but then as soon as like people start to have incentives there's tournaments you know people stop being like oh i'm gonna play my johnny's pride mate deck like have some fun and start being like i'm gonna bully you (laughs) (laughs) if you met my friend mayhem devil he would like to meet your creatures (laughs) like yeah yeah, for sure uh pioneer 
Pioneer had a pretty huge shakeup. Uh, we saw basically the Upsaw spell deck get banned out of the format. That doesn't exist anymore. Teferi, Wilderness Reclamation, and Uro all left as well. Um, and that format seems kind of wild uh, since then. I- I've been playing Burn in it, and I- I've liked Burn, but I don't think it's particularly great. It just seems like a fine week one deck or whatever. Um, turns out I'm Burn guy now, Abe, since you've been gone. I've just I've adopted Red in all the formats. I think... I think burn guy is a really healthy phase for any magic player to have. Yeah, you, so. you got to have your. It's like college, you know. You got to experience. I also own Pioneer Burn, and um, you know, maybe we'll hit the trenches together. Yeah, it'd be sick. Uh, we, we saw but I, I have a lot of feelings. I have a lot of feelings on the Pioneer ban in general because I have a lot of feelings on Pioneer. I'm kind of like I would love to hear them because I don't have a lot of feelings on the format in general. So this would be great. Yeah. To their time. So like Pioneer has had this big identity problem that has almost entirely been fueled by design mistakes in my mind. Um, it started out and it was this like, oh, you know, like Oath of Nyssa, like the Mono Green version deck was really, like really awesome and powerful. And they're like, okay, that's a little too much. They kind of like reined it in with those bands. And then slowly but surely every card from 2019 or 2020 that was good was too good. Yeah. With the exception of Inverter, which was kind of like the Splinter Twin of the format. And unlike Splinter Twin in Modern, which I think should stay banned. Because, I mean, maybe now you could unban it with Fourth Nation. But it's just so... You don't want to do it. It's going to be so miserable. Think about your decisions when you talk about these things, people. But I think Inverter... Inverter is the twin that needs to be unbanned. Because that deck, I think Dig Through Time was just too good. And we've kind of just seen them say like, oh, you know... We had this format that had an identity where you could play these cool combo decks, but the twin deck was the best because it had the best interaction and the combo. And then we banned all the combos instead of like banning the thing that made the combo really consistent in the one combo control deck. So like, I guess they've kind of continued leaning on the side of like, well, the only thing that gets to exist is a uh, Lotus field. Like yeah. that's the only combo deck we want. No more, no more, uh, oops, all spells. Like, that's that's off the table, and then the the classic Teferi is keeping Wilderness Reclamation in check. So uh, both of those are off the list. But like, I just think overall the problem with Pioneer is kind of the problem. It's not really a problem with Historic. Historic is kind of fresh with the Jumpstart cards, and like it has like some weird additions. But like Pioneer has just been this place where the banned standard decks go to like live on. It's like beyond the rainbow bridge for cards that got banned last year. Like you have people playing Luca Fires and you have people playing like Omnath like ultimatum decks and like Reclamation Shark decks. You know, it's just and it's just miserable because the reason those things are banned is because they suck to play with and against. They're so annoying. Like yeah. no one likes playing those games anymore. Everyone was like kind of tolerating it and then really, really happy when it was banned, except Pioneer, nothing happened. And then like it's also still the same Uro gameplay. So now I, I think that hopefully this gives some breathing room to like let the format breathe again. If they decide that, if Wizards has decided, which it seems like they have, that they just don't want it to be a format where people play these cool combo decks, I honestly love Inverter. I think that deck was like, you'd play some of the weirdest, craziest games of Magic with like Inverter of Truth as like a fair card or like just like down to the numbers of like what are your odds to draw certain cards once you like remake your deck and like it was just so fun that I wish it would come back, but if they decide it's this way, it's much better without Uro. Because in a format where you can't have combo decks, Uro is just the best thing by a lot. And like Yeah. Like or like Niv was the best thing by a lot, and then it got Uro. Like you just 
it's it's just if it's going to be a value mid-range like everyone can play their cards they kind of like format it's got to be that and i think a lot of the things that are really oppressive to that are off now they're they're all they're all sent away and uh i'm excited to see how chips up i hope that they really do think about it just feels like it's a matter of time until like someone figures out the right build for lotus combo and then like or like i dig through time is a ticking time bomb and i i hope that if they ever ban dig through time that they uh that they unban inverter yeah, That's I my... also wonder about, like, Citadel and stuff, right? Like, we've seen the Jun Citadel deck do pretty well in um, Historic, and we saw Kane actually pilot a version of it to second place uh, in this past uh, Pioneer Challenge over the weekend, losing to Burn. Um, and, like, that is, like, a combo deck, too, right? Like, it, it plays really differently and has a lot of stuff on the battlefield, but, like, at what point do we decide we can have a bunch of combo decks in the format? Because we, we clearly have a bunch of things that do combo-esque stuff, you know? Yeah. The the like, thing that I really don't want to see for Pioneer is that every time someone takes the time and figures out a cool thing they can do that abuses some card that doesn't really get a lot of love or, like, has the potential, like, was printed as this cool, like, make-it-happen card, and then someone makes it happen in a competitive format, that it gets banned. That's what I don't want to have happen. And that's kind of what it feels like happened with Inverter to me. Uh, and that's kind of what I, I don't really see it with that, uh, with that Citadel deck, the, like, the Jun deck. I've seen Kane play a lot of it before he stopped playing. He, like, took a pretty big break from playing Pioneer. Mm-hmm. Um, he would stream a bunch of it. I'm a huge fan of his stream. Love Kane. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Uh, and so, like, I think the deck is, like, pretty beatable. It's, like, not, not, like, so busted it's gonna like take over yeah. the format but but it is it is a deck that is doing something unfair it's kind of using the collected company catacomb sifter like you know like woe strider sacrifice package that exists and then doing it in this creative way where it turns bolasa citadel into like you're dead yeah it, it does like where inverter was like a combo control deck this is like a beat down combo deck you know and i wonder like how often or how long can we tread the line of like this deck? Like, how do I beat this deck? You know what I mean? Like, eventually it gets enough pieces or we figure out the right way to configure the pieces where like decks can't beat both game plans consistently and becomes miserable to play against. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, this is a little bit of my own personal like heuristic about it, but it's just generally the reason Inverter is such a problem is because it got to play all of the good interactive spells, right? It's yeah. that it gets to play every good answer and this combo that is also kind of proactive. So, like, forcing people to answer a deck that's entirely already a good reactive deck playing all the good tools, impossible. That's why Twin was too good. That's why Inverter was too good. Sure. Like, just has all the best cards. But I think it's a, you can give it a little more leeway and a little more time for people to adapt to a deck that's, like, having to, it's having to present the combo all the time, right? It's, like, it's going to have to put creatures in play and, like, push the game forward and you can set them back because it spends a lot of time in play. Sure. Totally fair. Really reasonable too. Uh, modern. This is the, the biggest one. Mystic Sanctuary, Field of the Dead, Uro, uh, and something else got banned. And then the Cascade rule got changed, so Cascade doesn't work. Uh, silly Face Ways with uh, Tibalt and etc. and company. Uh, There's something else banned in Modern that I feel like was kind of big, but maybe not as big as I'm thinking. Simeon Spirit Guide? Simeon Spirit Guide, thank you. Yeah, they banned the Fast Mana card. Um, what do you think about that for? Because I mean, as we've seen over the weekend, we saw it the challenge and then NRG put on an event, a uh, PTQ slash 5K, and it looks like modern and 
you know, some of this is like people falling back on known things, but it looks like it's modern before Oko, but right after like the the Hogak ban. And it looks kind of like it's that minus Urza because there's no Mox Opal. And it's a really interesting place. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. I, I think those bannings are all really good, by the way. I think all those cards needed to go. But... I I also love this banning. I might be like... I might might have been okay with letting Tibble's Trickery run around a little longer. Oh, and Trickery like, got banned. Yeah, yeah and like... Out. Yeah, yeah. so I've been fine with Trickery like running around a little longer and like figuring out if it's actually unbeatable or not. Like... But the fact that Wizards would have to be like, all right, we didn't ban it the first time because we weren't sure and people were like having fun with it. But I think like the two weeks of Magic Online of people having fun with it was more than enough for anyone who wanted to. Like if you were really interested in being Tybalt's Trickery modern local guy after the pandemic, you had your chance. You had to go on to Magic Online, build the deck, and then play it through a bunch of leagues. And that was like, that's like six months of playing at your LGS where you just like make people upset with like hitting your Emrakul or whatever. Yeah. Um. It just doesn't add anything, so I'm, I'm okay with it being gone. I think Mystic Sanctuary and Field of the Dead are both really overdue, and obviously Uro's really overdue. Mystic Sanctuary literally put, like, Snapcast remained for the longest time was, like, this staple of, like, you are a reactive blue deck, and, like, the way that you're able to compete in the format is you have this redundancy from Snapcaster Mage that also serves as a way to, like, turn the corner, said Jeskai guy. Um, <laughs> like, like, you know, you'd like, you Snapcaster your Lightning Helix against the, the Burn deck and, like, kill their last creature, and then suddenly you're, like, you have your Cryptic Command up, you've got, like, a clock in play, like, the Celestial Colonnade, the Cavalry's on the way with Celestial Colonnade, like, it's all happening. Mm. But, like, that was entirely reduced to this pattern of, like, okay, I'm just going to Cryptic Command you every turn with Mystic Sanctuary and a way to draw a card, which was just miserable, and the fact that such a powerful effect could be enabled by playing one land was just not okay. Yeah, and a fetchable land, too. I, I think I would not be surprised if we maybe see a Mystic Sanctuary in the future that doesn't have Island on it, you know? And I think that's way different, while still strong, than having, like, this one where it's like, yeah, we have, like, two or three of these in our deck, we pick them up all the time, and we have, you know, 14 copies of them, we have all these fetches. Like, it's yeah, like... really <laughs> absurd. It's really strong. <laughs> Along with all the powerful blue cards we got, right? And, you know, when, I haven't mentioned it really, but I've mentioned a lot past in the podcast. But the, I think the thing that Uro does is it becomes the only thing you need to win. Like, once you have Uro, it's really about not dying. And once you have Mystic Sanctuary or a Crypt deck, it's really hard for any deck to overcome you and not lose to the other things you have going on, too. So, uh, I'm really glad to see all that stuff banned. And then along with Field of the Dead, which I think was just probably too good, I, I, I really wonder... I know that you don't test for older formats, but I think they just thought Field of the Dead was not as good as it was. And uh, Primeval Titan really showed its face there. And then we learned yeah. that just play draw go with it. And that was, you know, I mean, helped with Uro a little bit, but, you know, it, it was really a lot. And it's really hard to ever win the game in, like, a controlling fashion when your opponent has so many recursive and hard to interact with threats. And kind of pushed Modern in a weird place that was kind of fun to play, but I'm glad we're kind of back to... This is weird to say. I'm glad to see Tron, you know, Karn on three. That's the devil yeah. I know. And that's the one it, I love. <laughs> it felt like for a while, Modern had become this format of like, it was like this format about either inevitability or like ending the game on turn three. Like you had to be like really just murking your opponent or you had to like, or you had Field of the Dead, Mystic Sanctuary and Uro and like you were trying to set up this every game is going to end the same way because inevitably I will do this and you will lose to it. 
which is just not, I think, the identity of that format. Yeah. Like, it only exists on both ends of the spectrum, whereas before it was like, oh, you know, I've got to be able to card on three so my opponent doesn't, uh, you know, play some spell that, like, puts me really far behind with my, like, that's my Tron deck. That's the whole thing. Or, like, I need to, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a humans, I need to, like, kind of snowball a board position early and disrupt my opponent by, like, turn three so that they can't kill me super quick. And that was just entirely eliminated, kind of blasted on both ends, but, like, Tibble's Trickery was now gone and and these Euro decks. Yeah, and like we Euro also Sanctuary. see, you know, we, we lost some combo decks, like, Ad Nauseam and stuff with the Spirit Guide leaving. Uh, but it, it's really weakened a lot of the other really degenerate combo stuff. You know, things like Tron are not, like, the end of the world or whatever. That stuff is beatable, and we've gotten more and more tools to beat it if you really want to beat it. And losing things like Spirit Guide really made a lot of the decks that could punk you feel less bad. And you never, and this is the best part of the band, you never have to hear anyone say, pitch Spirit Guide and do something. They'll all have to get a brand new joke. Now, what will that joke be? Who knows? And there's no way it's going to be as funny as I'll pitch Spirit Guide, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just hope, I hope it's good. It never is, but I hope that joke's good. It's I'll miss Steven Spirit Guide. I, when Modern first came out, I was actually playing Magic, and I remember being like, man, like, I wonder if there's, like, a way you could, like, make a Belcher deck. And then I've, like, seen the Belcher deck exist. Like, you know, like, my monkey's paw wishes come to fruition over, like, six years or something. And I'm like, I hate it. Get it out of here. I don't want it anymore. When it was bad, it was cooler. So <laughs> as much as Simeon Spirit Guide, I think, had some, we had some fun times. We had some fun, fun conversations about its existence over the years. I, I salute it goodbye. Yeah, it's funny. What I remember, you know, and we'll move on after this to the main topic, but I remember people talking about banning Mox Opal Simeon Spirit Guide around the 2017 era, and they were like, yeah, just get rid of fast mana. You know, like, let's get rid of all this fast mana stuff. Let's, you know, get rid of all of them. And we've been just slowly chipping away at a lot of them. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, you know, I, I was hesitant before, but I think we have enough tools and things that it's interesting to see how these things play out and, uh, yeah, I, I don't think Simeon Spirit Guide leaving is a a huge uh, thing that adds a lot of negatives to the format uh, being gone now. And I think that's it's probably a good sign <laughs> that like Simeon Spirit Guide's gone and we're not going to like lose any sleep over it. Um, but I don't know. Simeon Spirit Guide's a weird card. I It's cool to have things like that in the format. And I know Autumn wrote a big thread, if you're curious about this. Autumn talked about format identity for like eight or nine tweets. Uh, ended with like I guess I'm like pro dredge person now, <laughs> but like formats need identities. But I think modern is more than just like you're dead on turn three, which felt like the narrative back then, and now the narrative's changed, and so we're like changing what that means as well, um, which I think is cool. We're like kind of catering to a new norm, which is which is dope. And maybe someday Smith Spirit Guy comes back. Probably not. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I wouldn't bet on it, but but definitely seeing Uro gone from all of these formats. Like, Uro was kind of the Thragtusk problem when Thragtusk was a card, whereas, like, every game just kind of revolved around Thragtusk. Every game revolved around in all those formats. Everyone's deck building rolled on Uro. And I'm very happy to. it's gone. Even if your deck didn't play Uro, you just had to have an accountability for Uro, you know? Yeah, you had to have a plan. You had sideboard cards for Uro, the card, not for not for decks that play Uro, because that was all of them. You just had to have, threat, like, answers to that card because it was so problematic. And I think now, hopefully, we see the formats kind of move their own ways, grow outwards of each other. Nature is healing. The world is better. You know, all that. Exactly. Ur was the virus. Thank you so much for that Patreon question. I know that was a little deeper. The bands are a bigger topic, and when there's 15 of them, it's gonna it's gonna take a second there. Uh, 
But if you want to support the show outside of Patreon, you can go to our sponsor, OasisGames.com. You can pick up some new cards that maybe you want to play for Modern. Uh, I've been picking up some of the human pieces for a while now, Abe. And so I've been completing that. I just need some Cavernor Souls and some Meddling Majors. And I'm like basically done. There's a couple of their uncommons after that. And you can use code CCMTG at checkout to get 5% off. I'm sorry, 4% off your order. And use code would that be good for your very first order to get 15% off, which is actually how I got into Modern Abe. I, I was a listener of the podcast and I picked up all of Titan Shift and one big thing and saved a big chunk of money. So if you've been wanting to get into Modern or any of these formats we talked about, you know, I think IRL historic events will come when that time comes. You can pick up the stuff there. So go to Wasted Games and use that. And you can also go to our other sponsors, a brand new one for the network. Uh, sponsoring all the shows is greatvikinggames.com. What they do is a kind of interesting service. We never really talked about the show before, Abe. So you get to premiere that along with your premiere to Magic Podcasting. Exciting day. Uh, they sell the codes for Arena. And so what that means is you can go there and let's say you really loved the uh, one of the secret layers, right? And you really wanted the Uro sleeves that went with that secret layer. But you don't want to spend the $40 because you're not going to play with the cards and yeah, you want the sleeve, but Uro's banned. You don't really play Primeval Titan. You don't want Frost Titan. I'm not going to spend $40 on that. Instead, you can buy the code from them, which you can, I believe, also sell to them as well on their website if you have a code. And they sell it to you for like 7 bucks or whatever. And so it becomes kind of just like a normal cosmetic that you can pick up and get it right away. And they have that for all the secret layers. They also do that for packs, uh, FNM codes as well, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of different stuff you can pick up there. So if you want to check out that, you can go to grayvikinggames.com and look that up. And you can use code CCMTG at checkout to get 10% off your order. So you can pick some stuff up there. I have uh, some row sleeves, and I'm going to give them away here very soon, I think, on the CC podcast. Because I think we should always remember Uro. And that alternate art for Uro was so cool, and it's literally never going to see play. Legacy players aren't going to play with it. It's, it's like a foil or whatever. They hate that stuff. But, it's going to be like people's least favorite thing to see at the commander table for sure oh yeah i forgot Uro lives on in commander that's that's funny it's probably the only format where Uro might be fine who knows maybe a time gonna, that would be true <laughs> you're gonna sit down with drake sasser to see him like cedh game sit down he's gonna bust out his Uro, and you're like god i hate that thing but it looks great yeah, it looks <laughs> so, amazing you're also not gonna know what it is at first you're like oh that looks like a cool card what's that and it's gonna be like like waking up on Groundhog Day for the very first time. <laughs> exactly. You can go there to support all of our sponsors. But let's move on to the main topic of this week's episode, uh, the active improving at Magic. And so, Abe, when we talk about that sort of statement, what do we mean by the active improving in Magic? Um, You know, just Magic is such a big game. It's such a big thing. There's so much to think about. And when you're trying to get better, earnestly, like, you know, you want to make better decisions, you know, win more games. You want to you want to just get better. And uh, when it comes to improving in magic, there's a lot of ways to do that. There's a lot of places like you can you, you might want to grow. You might need to grow. There's there's just a lot to know. And so kind of figuring out how you can do that. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's one of the. One of the guiding lights of this show is, you know, always improving and kind of the act of like we all have so much we can learn. We're all always working on something, you know, even the great the great players like PV back when Seth was a co-host of the show. You know, he always had an always improving moment. I think that's really telling that, you know, Seth Banfield was like always working on something. Uh, and it's it's hard to be better than Seth. So there's always something to be going on. 
And the act of improving at magic is something that is really personal, right? And it's like your own goals and your own things. And there are things that we set for our own goals. And it doesn't need to be like, I'm going to qualify for all the pro tours in a year. And you know, like success isn't measured by trophies and stuff like that. And setting your own goals is hyper important. You know, recently on the show, if you've been listening, uh, I talked about how I wanted to really work and improve at limited and kind of get better at a limited format and try to understand that a bit more. And I did some of that with Abe off, uh, off podcast, you know, hanging out on Discord and stuff like that. And I've worked on that. And that's like a goal of mine in Magic. I have other goals and other things I work on as well. And I have, you know, sometimes bigger goals. Like an example might be back in 2019, the last half of the year, I wanted to really lock up a buy going into 2020 for SCG. And so I made it my goal to end up in the top 64 on the leaderboard, which meant like I'm going to go to every event I can. I'm going to play every IQ I can. I'm going to do all these things because I have only, you know, one result from the first half of the year, really. And so I need to catch up to everybody. And like you can set your own goals and you define your own success. Abe, when you talk about setting your own goals, and I kind of mentioned that sort of stuff. Have you done that sort of thing before? Do you set kind of big goals or are you someone who more like checks on goals as they go and kind of comes back to them? Um, I used to like, my, my relationship with goals is kind of, uh, it's not very concrete. Like I, I tend to think like, I'm someone who doesn't really do New Year's resolutions too much. Cause I think that like, you know, making this arbitrary time where you want to like set this thing you want to do, or you want to change is just kind of like, it makes it this ceremonial thing. It doesn't have to be. And I feel the same way about magic. I used to do on Facebook back when that was what everyone used to talk to each other. I do this big end of year post where I kind of like summarized all the events I had played, all the things I had done, all the memorable moments that I could like really think of off the top of my head, just kind of like stream confidence and then end it with like, what are my goals for the next year of magic? This one was great. What's my next one? And like, you know, like some of them were to like close more tournaments. Like I was top eighting a lot. I wanted to, I wanted to win more. Some of them were top eight a GP or an open, you know, like, and sometimes I'll just have a whim where I'm like, you know what? I want to hit for me. It's not ever hit, hit mythic. I'm not a huge ladder guy, but like, it's just, it could be something as small as hit mythic or, you know, feel proficient with a deck. And it's really just whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Like a goal doesn't have to be so metric. It could, it could literally just be like, you know, feel confident. Like that's a great goal. I think feel confident playing a match of magic in paper. I think there's a lot of people I know who are really good technical players are really good on on paper and just aren't comfortable yeah and like something like that is a very good goal to set for yourself if that's you but most mostly what i have to say about goals is that like they've got to come from something you like you know you like want or need right like like you've got to know why it is that that's your goal like if your goal is that you want to like qualify for a pro tour like maybe ask yourself like why do I want to qualify for a pro tour? Cause it's cool. Cause I want the money. Like, or if it's, I want to get better at drafting, like for you, like, why do you want to get better at limited? Uh, I want to get better at limited because I think it's really actually important in magic. And I think uh, there's a lot of things that I kind of naturally am pretty good at in limited, like combat math and things of that nature, I think comes really easy to me. And I've been able to like slide by on that limited, but things like, evaluating uh cards early on in like a sealed pool or in a draft environment and like the context of how other people react to that is one that i think is not as well shaped for me um and so i want to get better at that so i can understand those things i think that will apply to other areas and i'm also someone who likes to play competitive magic and eventually there will reach a point where i'm going to have to play a limited event i got really lucky 
and before my Pro Tour became the Arena one, I was going to play a modern uh, standard Pro Tour. And I was like, oh my gosh, I dodged a limited. You know, like, oh, we're lucky. We got so, so lucky on that. And that should not be a thing that I'm thinking. I want to be able to be more proficient. And I have to start somewhere with limited. And obviously, like, when the time comes for the, those events, I'll need to do a bunch there. But I can help sharpen those skills now and then port them to the specifics of that new format. Yeah. And I think that if you have to, if you're a listener right now and you're thinking about like, what are my goals? What should my goals be? You should try to find a goal that you could explain as well as Mason just explain that one. I think that's like, for me, when it comes to setting goals, that's how I like to feel about them. It's like, why is it I want to do this? Like, why is this my goal? I know. Like, why is it that I spent time brewing today? Because I want to grow as a deck builder. Because I think it's really important. Yeah. And one thing I do want to say before going on is, uh, I think that there's no real wrong way to approach what we're doing here. Like, Abe kind of has, like, a more, like, not so concrete thing. It doesn't need to be so ceremonial. I kind of do that. But one thing I think is important is that if you do it the way I do, sometimes you can lead to failure, quote unquote. And I like to think of things, uh, while they are failures, they're just, I haven't reached it yet. So, like, if my goal was to, let's say, let's say I had not ended up finishing, you know, middle of the pack for SCG for the one buy, right? And I had missed it. It'd be like, okay, I got really close. How can I improve and how can I work to make sure that goal happens next time? So, I think setting things and being uh, healthy and honest with yourself is important. Because that's something that's definitely an easy trap to fall into in Magic, a negative self-cycle and setting goals and doing things and feeling like you never achieve anything. And just realize that it's a long time to sometimes achieve goals, um, you know. Like if your goal is to make the Hall of Fame, right? I think that's a great goal, but you need to do a lot of other things along the way and it's going to be like a 15-year thing. So like be prepared, you know? Um, but let's talk about how do we start on a goal? You know, we, we kind of mentioned the beginning processes of like, all right, we figured out this goal that we want to do uh, and we kind of got like, all right, I want to be the limited guy so I can do these sort of things and you want to like, you know, you want to set the goal of like, hey, I really want to, you know, work on this zombie deck and explore that thing. Are there any other things you do when starting a goal along that nature before you really hop into trying to achieve that goal? Um, I mean, I think that you, when you start a goal, like it's good to know how you're going to get there, right? You, you want to have a plan. Mm-hmm. I think that planning is like key. I think that and if you don't set out, if you don't know how it is you're going to do it, if you don't have an idea of like, you, know, you say like, okay, I'm going to top eight the next open in my hometown. And then you sit around and you're like, well, okay, I'm just going to, like, how am I going to do it? When you set yourself that goal, if you didn't know, like, I'm going to test with these people, I'm going to, like, I'm going to practice this format, right? Like, you should have an understanding of the steps. I think that that's, like, step number one for me is, like, okay, this is my goal. How am I going to get there? Lay it out. Yeah, I think that's super important. And I think to kind of, this kind of goes along with, like, how do we achieve this goal? And we're going to kind of hop into that. One thing that I think is important is you write it down somewhere. And it can be on your notes on your iPhone. That's where I do most of mine. Um, but I always suggest people do pen and paper since a lot of people that connects more with them. And write down like what your goal is, you know. And like I have a, I have a pen and paper over here. And it was relearning modern. You hear me drop the pen. <laughs> it's relearning <laughs> modern sideboard. And I just put prowess at the top. And I've written things down so that I would like be able to learn more about prowess because I want to get really good with prowess, right? And I want that to be like a deck I can fall back on because I've played a lot of Amulet, but like I'm not like Edgar, right? Like I can't just pick up Amulet. I have to like really work on it. And so I want to have something that I can kind of fall back on. I want to get better at this also different strategy. And that's something that I'm working on as well. And so I 
that prowess stuff and I have like goblins, chalice versus me and I put a sad face. And it's like, oh yeah, I forgot that goblins players all play chalice now. And it's like blue red spells, uh, quote mirror, like bring in spell pierce some percentage of the time. Should I think about that more? Is that right or wrong? And like, that's sort of me like taking actions to do this, right? But I think you can do that sort of thing with a lot of other stuff when it comes to achieving goals. And I think that's a great thing, right? Like maybe you want your goal to be when SCGs and GPs come back, I want a top 16, one of my first three I go to, and I'm going to go to a bunch of them, right? Set, write that down and think about it. how are you going to achieve that goal? Are you going to make sure you're setting aside some time to practice every day? You know, are you setting aside some time to read content and that sort of thing? Are you going to make sure that you're watching stuff, staying on top of things? Are you going to practice new decks so you have a wider range when that time comes? Are you going to try and pick a deck and hope that it's good when the time comes? Like, how are you going to achieve those goals? And of course, listening to constructive criticism each and every week and becoming a patron. But besides that, like, you know, you got to really think about what you're going to do um, to achieve those goals. And Abe, what are some things that you've done to help achieve yourself and your goals? Because I feel like this is a moment where we kind of have to use past lessons to kind of help listeners get a good idea of how they can do this themselves. Because it can be hard to come up with, like, what am I supposed to do? Especially if, like, I know when I first started, if I didn't have Trey to help me, there was not many people that I could talk to that had gone to the Pro Tour or done that sort of thing near me. Uh, and if they there were people that I didn't feel like I could approach them and ask them that. And so it can be kind of hard to figure it all out on your own. You know, it's like chess, right? Like everyone learns off them and they learn these new openings and these new things. And it's super important to learn from that. So what are some things that you've done to help achieve your goals? Um, I'll give, uh, here's a good example. So when I was, uh, when I was first like getting good, you know, like I was really leveling up. Uh, I had like just graduated high school and I was like, uh, like playing as much as I could, like hanging out with my friends who were like my core group. Um, we were like all really improving. My friend top eight at a limited GP. We were like all really good at this limited format. I had like a couple of PTQ top eights. And then like that group kind of dissolved a bit. I was working with new people and like, I set this goal, like I'm going to make the pro tour too, because I want to like, I got to keep up with my buddy, you know, like mm-hmm. got to keep up with my friend who, who just went like a year or two prior. And had like was was like kind of on it, you know. I wanted to like go to the same one as him, so I was like, I'm gonna do that. And I quickly realized I came in without a plan. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I was like, I'm gonna manifest, and that doesn't really work. But I was working with some friends of mine, and it was just like not working. And I was like, all right, I need to make a plan now because what I'm doing right now, I know isn't working. Like I'm like we're testing all these decks. I'm kind of like I'm playing. It was like a standard RPTQ. I was like, I'm gonna like play this Jeskai Black deck. I think I'm like try to build it for like the field. And I was just like losing and losing and testing. And I was like trying to talk about it with these people. And it was just not, uh, it was just not, we weren't communicating well. And I was like, you know what? I've got to do something different. I'm going to talk to someone who I know I can trust. That's when I talked to, uh, actually the first time I worked with Sukenic for an event was for this RPTQ. And I was like, hey, like, I think I'm going to learn this Rally the Ancestors deck from the ground up. Like, how can like can you help me do that because i know you have moto resources so i was like my plan is i'm going to pick this deck that's clearly the best deck i'm going to pour all my time i'm not working at the card shop into going home and playing moto that's the only thing i'm gonna do like i'm i'm not gonna play video games i'm not gonna like watch much tv i only have one monitor at this time so i'm like you know i'm gonna just grind i'm gonna stream myself grinding so if i like have time i can go back and watch and like be critical for my mistakes i'm going to talk to the people i know and like 
I'm just going to figure out just route of the ancestors. And I did. And it, it worked out great for me. But like you, without that plan, I probably would have just kind of like, you know, read some SCG articles, uh, you know, like modeled around, swapped like four sideboard cards between the main deck or something. And then like kind of, kind of fallen flat. But like when you have a goal, especially a big goal, uh, like your plan can change, but you always have to be cognizant of it. And if you're not cognizant of your plan, it uh, it really falls apart, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that a lot. And that, that's great to hear that story of success and everything too and have it work out. I, I think about one of the times where I really wanted to understand Amulet. Um, that That's one of the things that I had a goal of like, I really like this deck. Um, and it's, it's funny. Uh, it's one of the first times I really did this um, with Magic, but it was like, okay, Case Guy was just got banned. KCI was really strong. I was playing like it were spirits a lot of the time. And I was like, wow, I really shouldn't shy away from these decks that are quote unquote hard or complex. They're generally really good. And my opponents have a hard time playing against them as well. And I looked at Amulet and I was like, well, I already own a lot of these cards. I've played the Summer Bloom version a long time ago a little bit when I first started. And it's like, I should do this. This seems really strong. And I want to learn this deck. And if worse comes to worse, you know, I now know how to play against Amulet, you know, at the end of that, hopefully. And that will help me with whatever deck I decide to go play. And so I just like wrote like wrote down on my phone like I want to learn Amulet Titan and how are we gonna do that and it was like watch all the vods of everyone who's played Amulet on an SCG or a GP. So I just like would go through and watch like I've watched Will Pulliam and Edgar Magalage and D- Matt Dilks and Daryl Ayers. I don't know how many of the future matches I've watched. I've probably watched them multiple times too because I wasn't sure if I had seen them or not. You know, sometimes the humans versus Amulet matches really bleed together from that era. You know, <laughs> the, like, or Jeskai versus Titan. At a certain point, you're like, wait, is this? No, I think he cast a Teferi. I'll just keep watching. I'll try and learn. And I had to backward engineer all of that. You know, it was a thing where I literally had no resource. And luckily, you know, I, I think it was kind of a meme or something at the time. I, I wasn't quite sure because I, you know, didn't really know these people then. But it was like they would post these amulet like puzzles on Twitter, right? And it was right around the time I started playing amulet. And it was perfect. And it was one of those things where it was like, figure this puzzle out. Like, figure out what you're supposed to do and do not tap out until you find the line. And then, like, if it takes more than an hour, then read the comments and try and figure out why did we miss it and why didn't we figure this out. And the other thing I did was just practice the mechanics. And so, hand to God, I remember one Christmas, uh, I, I actually ended up staying here uh, and did stuff with my brothers instead of going to see my grandparents. And I watched Gossip Girl for, like, nine hours one day, and I just goldfished Amulet Titan literally the entire time I wasn't eating. I had like ate dinner, ate breakfast or lunch or whatever, and then the rest of the time I was just literally shuffling amulet and going through the act of picking up and tapping and learning it because I was like mechanically I need to make sure I'm doing these things correctly, you know. And so I had something on in the background. I kind of just did that and practiced and like I remember doing it and I can't remember exactly. But I remember thinking like, oh, I can do this in this situation, and just thinking about like, oh these sort of things could come up if I was like in this sort of board state, that's good to know. And a deck like Amulet, you should really pour the time into. And I remember Gottlieb um, was another big push in this because on the game podcast at the arena decklist now, but at the time game, he talked about it, the more you put into Amulet, the more it will give you. We see these players perform with it and do so well. And that's like all they're really playing. You know, if you think you are of that caliber, want to be of that caliber, this seems like a great deck. And he pushed me. And then, you know, it led to my first open top eight where, you know, I played Amulet Titan, and I, I got paired actually versus uh, 
Edgar Dilks and uh, Errors in the top eight. And I, I literally neck decked them from the week before. And so when it's open deck list and they, we open up our deck list and we pass them to each other and I can see like Edgar and Daryl both checking cause it's amulet and they're like checking everything. And I just told them, I didn't know them at the time. I was just like, that's literally your deck from last weekend. But with this sideboard card changed with this sideboard card, because I didn't have that one and I wasn't quite sure what to do. And I literally net deck you three every week. So I'm always a week behind. But that's what I would do. <laughs> I just, and I, I, and that's, none of that's exaggerated. You can, I talked to Edgar about it. He's like, oh, that was you. Because he just, like, you know, we didn't really know each other at the time. But that literally happened. I literally said, I net deck you three every week because you're the smart ones and you know what you're doing. And I literally watch all your matches and study everything you do and try and figure it out so that I can learn. And that's the thing where, like, I feel like I am not near, like, those guys' level. But I feel like I'm a pretty competent Amulet Titan player. And when I play against Amulet, and I've played against Dilks a couple times since then, I never feel lost in the matchup now. And I know that even if I never end up playing Amulet again, I am prepared for that sort of matchup and what they can do, uh, assuming things don't change drastically between now and then. So that was the thing where it became like really like, okay, how can I study? And the thing I like a lot about that story is a lot of that is not me playing. Like before I top that open, I actually had very little playtime on Amulet. I had like a couple IQs, some FNMs. Uh, I think I played a couple Moto leagues, but not many because it was abysmal to play Amulet on Moto. And like, it's all things that are not part of the game. So I think one thing to take away from that, if you're listening, is that just because you don't have time to actually play games and like seriously like put it all in there, well, I think that's one of the best ways to get stuff out. There are other ways to do things, uh, and there yeah, are other if, ways. Yeah, if I can. Happen. If I can jump on that, Hop in. when I was writing for Star City, one of the things I always tried to get across in my articles, for anyone who's listening who might have read them, you probably already know this, um, is that there's just so much more that you can get out of doing many other things. Usually for me, it was like, just read some deck lists. Like, go on Goldfish, look at the leagues, look at what people are playing, look at what people are trying, absorb that information try to think critically about people's deck lists, but just in general, there's so many things you can do that are not sit down and jam games of magic. And even if you have a lot of time, like this is the only time I'm going to get to play, like I have like six hours on a Saturday. It's the only time I'm going to be able to play like magic online this week uh, or like magic arena this week before, uh, before like what the mythic qualifier this weekend or something. If you're like Thursdays set aside for that, like you can get a lot out of the time you spend not playing magic, just doing other things with magic. There's so many ways to engage, so many ways to learn. And in the same way that people say like, uh, you know, you get diminishing returns from playing, it works backwards too. You get increasing returns the first amount of time you spend doing something, right? Like the first hour of your week that you spend taking the time to read over all the deck lists that did well in the challenges and how they're built the first like hour you spend listening to a magic podcast like this one, like the first hour you spend on all those things is going to be so much more important to you than like the 10th, 15th hour. And it's going to be the one you get the biggest gain out of. So if you're someone who plays a lot, I really do think that you should find time to like, even in that play time to be like, okay, let's do some homework. And if you're someone who is the other way, which I know I am a lot of the time, like that was me a lot of 2019 because I was like doing school and, you know, I just had like a completely booked schedule, traveling to all the opens, writing for Star City and like holding down a 4.0 GPA. Like 
literally every second of my life was taken and I was like, I don't have time to play magic. I'll just do it. A lot of things off of like my ability to read the metagame and like read these deck lists and like construct a good list and then play off of my, off of my knowledge is that if I had spent another, like, I don't know, like one night, if I'd stayed up like two or three hours later, like on like some night in, in a week and played a league during that time, I would have gotten so much more out of it. I would have made so many fewer mistakes. Mm-hmm. So it it's just something to remember, you know, like there's so much you can do that isn't playing games and you don't need, like you did all that alone. Like you didn't have, that was all publicly available. That's all YouTube, Twitter, and like a dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like you could, you know, maybe like you could have like maybe had a Facebook group, like DM'd someone and like hopes to respond, but like, there's a lot you can get done on your own. And if you don't know what to do on your own, uh, you know, or you, you don't know where to start, just start somewhere. Yeah, 100%. And what, one of the things I always tell people, and this is like another example of a thing you can do, when like, oh, I don't really have time to play except for this lot thing, yada, yada. I'm like, well, do you ever watch like a YouTube video like when you're at lunch, you know, where you're like you watch a TV show or something? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. One thing that I would do always leading up to an event is I would look over the deck list and of the other decks and I would think about how are they going to sideboard versus me? You know, like if, if I know I'm locked in for Amulet Titan, right? It's like, okay, how are they going to sideboard? What are they going to bring in and out? And I kind of figured that out in my head. And then I go and I find something where someone notable is talking about it and I compare. And if it's like, okay, I got it right, that shows I have like a pretty good understanding of the matchup and what's going on. And if I got it wrong, it's like, okay, why did I think they were going to bring in Tormont script versus me? That doesn't make much sense. Where What fell apart? And it's like, oh, I'm overvaluing this life from the loam engine I have or whatever, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I think that sort of thing is something you can very easily do while you're doing stuff like that. And it takes 10 or 15 minutes to just kind of look over one or two deck lists, compare them with, you know, the CFB SCG article, whatever, see what Reduke would do in the versus you and Jund and just be like, oh, cool. Awesome. Now I get that. And you don't need to dedicate these large chunks of time. You can do a lot of pocket sessions to help achieve your goals. Um, And I, I think... Another thing to kind of mention here before we kind of start wrapping this up is uh, understand that sometimes goals take a long time. The thing that I didn't mention, Abe, during all that is that from the time I bought Amulet to play to my first like actual thing, like an IQ or like I could win some amount of money on it was like a two and a half month period where like there was a period where I only played it at FNM sometimes and I would goldfish it and like I, I was watching and doing all this stuff for like two and a half months. And I'm not even like really playing it that much because I can't play on Moto because it was driving me up the wall along with all my mistakes. And so it's like, okay, I can do these things and then start uh, taking action for it. So except sometimes that the goal is going to take a long time. And depending on your goal, it might take a really long time with something like Magic. Um, I think that's just important to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, Magic is, uh, you know, it's probably the most complicated game in existence. And there's a lot to know. And every, even on, even the things that seem simple, like they are pretty difficult. There's a lot of really difficult things you're going to learn to do. Like, I don't know the fact that like you could have some people who've like maybe played a handful of games of magic and like, you know, have some really big degrees and you're like, okay, what's the line here? And you could answer that question and they can't no matter how many degrees they have, you know, like, like it's just a thing you got to learn or figure out. And some people figure out really easily because they're like, they just see it or whatever but you know if 
if finding the right amulet titan line to to take your example like some people are like oh like yeah you just do this because they understand the puzzle and they like get it and some people are just like i don't even know what's going on here <laughs> like <laughs> like we've got what's a gruel turf <laughs> like <laughs> no I, why it, is it easy mode i don't even understand <laughs> like i remember one of those with amulet where like pulling up screen sharing in a discord we're in and he's like oh i've made a huge mistake can you tell me what it is and he uh didn't activate the tribe scout first to make his first land drop and he says it's important that, and it's important that you do do this right like it's correct that you activate tribe scout first because that gives them a chance to respond right and so they might do something so you can put in that first land and then play the garenbrig from your hand where if you go like forest and then activate tribe scout put garenbrig in they might be more heads up and they also have more information and more chances to respond and do stuff and it's like you literally played this land in like the opposite order and this is such an obvious thing but like it like stumped me for a second i had to be like wait what's wrong with this and i had to like survey the board and i was like oh my gosh yeah yeah, yeah. i put a trigger on the stack of course you know like those sort of things take a lot of time and they can be really hard to notice it in some point. So, and then that's with someone, you know, who kind of knows it telling you, so it can be really hard and, but it's, it's really rewarding too. I say all this, you know, and it sounds like this, like super hard to overcome. You're just like spending months in the dojo or whatever, but it, it's like a fun, rewarding process to improve on something. You know, like if you've played Valorant, when you first start playing Valorant, you are almost assuredly so bad unless you have years of cf ghost practice which means you've been playing Valorant for years because it's just the same game and then like you get like you know that first ace of yours or that first time that like you understand to use the abilities and that like light up spark moment is so rewarding and in magic i think it's the same way and it can take a long time but it's definitely worth it abe you know wrapping up here i think one of the things that maybe a lot of people are talk thinking about or they maybe get to after they kind of done these steps that we talked about is like, did I achieve my goal? Like, and how do we measure growth? And how do you tell people to kind of look at that? Because maybe, maybe someone sets a goal, Abe, of you know qualifying for the Pro Tour, and they spike it. You know, our, our friend Kyle made that his goal, and he qualified for the Pro Tour on like his second PTQ, a three hundred person tournament. He just got there, and he was like, okay, but what do I do now? How how do you measure and look at those sort of things? Um, I've kind of uh. God, I'm just giving all of Sekenic secrets away, but like, uh, I've kind of always thought of uh, like improvement in general as the cycle of like, you kind of spend a bunch of time being like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of like that. You know, I, I feel like I need to be better. I need mm -hmm. to figure out what I'm doing wrong. And then you kind of figure all these things out slowly that add up. And then you're like, you start to feel more confident. You're like, okay, I think I'm like making some big strides here because like something clicks with you or you get a result or like you make a really cool plot. Like, you know, you like top eight a PTQ because you like in the win and in, you have this really sick line that you figure out or like you get the read on your opponent and you like, you know, like play in a way that's not like not the way you'd think, you know, you, you like you do something that makes you feel like you've grown and then you're like, wow, I know all these cool things. Like, how do I uh, like I'm going to do all these things with them now that I know them. And then you kind of like it's this expansion of like now you have a bigger world to play in and then you hit the walls of it. And then you're like, well, now I feel like I'm stuck again, you know? And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that you you don't really realize it, but you're improving a lot more than you think you are because what you're trying to do a lot of the time in Magic especially is you're trying to, like, plug holes, you know? Mm -hmm. You're trying to, like, be like, I don't want to make these mistakes. And the less you make those mistakes, the less you're going to see yourself avoiding those mistakes. And so when you... 
when you think about it and you're like, you know, maybe take a snapshot of like the moment that you decide you need to work on something and then be like, how different am I from that? You know, like if my goal is to make the PT, well, like what did it mean to make the PT? Was it just that I wanted to play a pro tour or did I want to feel like a pro tour caliber player? This, when I, when the players championship was first announced, like when it was coming back long time ago, uh, it feels like it is actually two years ago now. Yeah. But I remember it was, I don't want to like, I'll call him. I don't care. Uh, so Dylan Han and I were both writing at the time, both select. He was the Monday slot and I was the Wednesday slot. And this announcement came and I remember him saying something to the effect of like, I'm making it my goal to qualify for the PC and like, I'm going to go hard for it and everything. And I mentioned in my goal in, in like my end of year article, which was just kind of like a bunch of stuff about a lot of this topic, just like, if you want to get better, like this is some stuff I think you should try to do um, was like, I want my goal to be rather than like, I want to qualify for the players championship. Cause of course I would want to sounds great. Mm-hmm. Is that I want to play that caliber of magic. I would like results are here or there. Like I want to feel like I'm playing at the level I would need to, to make the PC every week. Like I want to be in there making good decisions week in, week out in the game, out of the game. I want to just be like a full magic machine and i did not come close to that like i <laughs> i had like a couple tournaments where i was doing some really good stuff and a couple tournaments where i was doing some pretty bad stuff it happens but uh you know like when you have a goal like that like when i think back on it it's like well that goal did help me because there were a lot of weeks where i could have played it safe and i chose to like like there was a there was um svg cleveland where i like I started out undefeated on day one, and then my like day falls apart on day two. But like that morning, I was in bed with a copy of Dredge I'd borrowed from a friend for that event, and a humans list I'd built half asleep that morning based on the stuff I'd been reading online, like based on like the deck list I've been reading with like a full package that I constructed for all the matchups, like a really really good humans list. I was very happy with it, and I was like, I'm just gonna play the humans list, and that was like, there's not another tournament where i think i've ever like felt like as an independent magic player i've showed up better mm-hmm. like i put in the hours i'd been putting in the hours of humans like over time and like i the deck really well i'd been doing all my reading i'd been doing all my research i knew all the matchups i knew all the deck lists i knew all the options and there was like something that i think it was like phyrexian revoker like clicked with me as like okay this actually does fix a lot of problems and is like a really smart solution i'm doing it and then like had an amazing finish ultimately the way it went down was like kind of sad but like i nine-owed day one like clean sweep and then like top 16 or whatever so yeah um when it comes to like measuring success in your goals you got to think back on like the improvement you felt you know and sometimes the improvement you feel is the mistakes you don't make and sometimes it's the things you accomplish but i think it's just really important to like you know, if your thing is, I don't want to make dumb mistakes anymore. Or like, I don't want to misevaluate my role in a matchup anymore. When you stop misassessing your role in a matchup, you're not going to notice suddenly that like, ah, I've chosen that I'm the beatdown now, you know? And like, and that was correct. Like, that's not something you're ever going to think. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like when you, maybe if you go back and watch your matches, you'd be like, oh, like a less experienced me, a less improved me would have like, just kind of jammed because they felt like they needed to be the aggressor and they like needed like i 
I'm, I'm a blue white player. It's like, maybe I shouldn't jam this Jace because I want to leave up cryptic command. But like, and like, I'll have time later to cast Jace. And you just didn't understand that before. But now you're just like, without thinking like, all right, land go on my cryptic command turn. And then like, we'll see how it plays out. I'll have plenty of time. And that kind of growth is something where you'll lose a match with blue white. And you'll be like, man, I suck. Like I played so bad, but you didn't play bad. You, you've played so much better in that alone than like, you know, you did when you set out. So, yeah. Yeah. I think you really, uh, encompass that really well. And I, I honestly don't have anything more to add. I kind of echo what Abe said. And if you, you know, you heard that sort of thing and you've liked this conversation, you can definitely go also check out Abe's article. Like you talked about, uh, on Starcy Game Select, they keep all those articles in the archives. So if you just Google Abe Stein SCG, it should pop up with that one. So more on his thoughts on that topic there. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Abe, thank you so much for coming on and taking your time to talk about this topic. Uh, I think you added a lot and you had a lot of really great things to say, and I'm really glad we were able to have you for this episode. Yeah, I honestly have had a great time. This is everything I thought it would be. I like, I knew I wanted to be on a magic podcast and I've had a great time doing it. So, uh, you know, don't be a stranger to reaching out and having me on again. Will um, not if the people want to find me. Yes, of course. I was about to give you your time to shill. Shill, <laughs> my man. People, shill. <laughs> if people want to find me, um, the best place is honestly twitter.com slash more nothings at more nothings on Twitter. Um, I'm not really doing much in content these days. I have been thinking about if you're someone who really wants to improve and, uh, you know, you, you want to put in a lot of time, I have been thinking about opening up the idea of coaching if uh if people are interested in that down to have a conversation with anyone who listens who's interested in you know they heard what i said today and thought i was someone who might be able to help them i'd be glad to give it a shot um and i don't know follow my twitch i guess i don't really stream that much i've been trying to stream like the the scds or whatever but like i'm just so inconsistent i just want to do other things in my time sometimes you know no, that's fair it's, it's hard so how about you commit. You want to find me, you can find me at twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. If you go to YouTube, you'll find the VODs of all those Twitch streams uploaded there at youtube.com slash Mason Clark. I am in a thing where my channel is like the biggest one with that name, but for some reason it doesn't pop me up every time, but some people say it does. So if you type in Mason Clark magic, I pop up. So I, I suggest doing that for right now while I take over the algorithm. I need to pull more of the clout my way so you can check out all the stuff there you can find me each and every week writing for card kingdom on their blog uh normally about standard so you can find me there every thursday this week is gonna be more about the metagame going on kind of the part two of the tier list and pretty exciting which i do over there and of course you find me here each and every week for another episode of constructed criticism and if you want to follow the show so you can keep up with everything going on with that you can find us on our website at constructedcriticism.com and you can also go to our Twitter at CCMTG and make sure to check out the other shows on the network. Sam Black's Drafting Archetypes is a new newest addition to the podcast network. Sam, Huge fan. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. I, I think Sam does an amazing job. And I, I've always thought Sam has one of the more interesting brains about things. And even though um, right now, you know, I'm, I'm a limited guy. I'm a limited guy. I'm a burn guy. That's me. Always has been. Always will be. Uh, even though I am those things, you know, uh, getting to hear the way he thinks about things is very interesting. And I, I will probably continue to listen to that even if I fall off limited for a while, just because the perspective and way he thinks about things I think is so interesting and applicable to other areas of magic. 
And so even if I didn't know what was going on exactly when he's talking about these archetypes, I think you can pull a lot per the episodes before Kaldheim where I literally had never drafted Zendikar and I was listening to him talk about <laughs> Zendikar, which admittedly was a little hard when the random uncommons came up. I'm like, is that the one with the Flash? I think it is. He's implying I can do it with Flash. That's probably fine. That's the one. you know. And so uh, check all that sort of stuff out. And once again, thank you so much, Abe, for coming on. And we'll see you all next week for another episode of Constructed Criticism.